What's up, guys? Devin Zander here with my co-host, Clayton Johnson. We are the motherfucking Rowdy Boys. Yes, we fucking are. Guys, today we have a cartoon character on. I'm just kidding. The only reason I say that is because um, they've decided to remain anonymous, but we do have their uh, avatar up. We have Satoshi's mom. What's good? Dude, a lot is good right now, including the fact that there is a new fridge in the office, which I doubt anyone can see, but uh, it will keep our kratom ice cold, which is pretty it's fucking beautiful. exciting. So today on the Rowdy Boys, we decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, as I'm sure everybody watching knows, crypto and NFTs have absolutely blown up over the past few years. And our good friend Satoshi's mom here is one of the earliest adopters that I know of. Uh, he brought the idea to me. Man, it's got to be like... Like two years ago. Yeah, just a couple months before it really went mainstream. Uh, I thought that he was a little bit crazy. We, I think the first NFT you made, I think we made it together. Yeah, I made it sitting at the cafe at, you know, at Roots. And yeah. uh, I was just, I had no idea what I was doing. It was just a stupid, like, funny thing that I, like, Photoshopped together, basically. It took, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah, it was a Charizard, I think. Right? Yeah, it was a Charizard with a Doge head on it. Yeah, with a dick dildo just like glued to its forehead <laughs> no. yeah it was amazing no. you're quite the artist but um <laughs> yeah i mean satoshi's mom is a good friend of clayton and i thought it'd be a great idea to bring them on today learn uh everything clayton you're usually the question man yeah because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of i, I mean this entire world there's a lot to do with marketing to be honest i think there's a lot to be learned um, about your journey there and, and marketing mm -hmm. and like making money and mindsets, all kinds of different stuff. But um, first thing I wanted to ask you, dude, what is it like um, to be the inventor of Bitcoin? Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> technically that would be my mother. son. And that's the meme. What is it like so, to be, yeah, to be the, the, the mom of the guy that invented Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Satoshi basically went for SIGs and then just never came back like that fucking fun. 20 I years ago, that douche. knew it. But... Uh, yeah, you know, eventually Bitcoin's just going to be superseded by Ethereum anyway someday. So one day it'll just be, a, you know, an archaic token. Alex Becker <laughs> told me actually that Solano is amazing. Oh, and that eats Cardino. Cardino. I, oh, is that what it was? Was it Cardino? Cardino, I think, might be the one to uh, surpass. I don't know. He said some stupid shit and then he flip-flopped. He's a good <laughs> friend of mine, so I, hope, I doubt he'll ever watch this, but he like totally uh, flip-flopped. <laughs> Yeah, no. And I think Bitcoin's a, you know, obviously the most fundamental token that exists in the crypto space. But um, yeah, you know, aside from that, like all the NFT stuff's on Ethereum. There's so much more usage for Ethereum versus Bitcoin just being kind of this like first to market. Uh, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I think something really cool to talk about would be, um, so the whole idea of being a successful, let's say, info marketer or online marketer, right? A lot of that stems from novelty. So what that means is like your offer is new and exciting. And part of having a really novel offer is being able to identify these trends and where the market is heading before it gets there. And Mr. Satoshi's mom, I think you did a really great job of that because like I said, when you brought it to me and you were like, I think I'm gonna do this NFT thing, it was before anyone else was talking about it. Like I had heard of it in a book one time where they talked about crypto kittens or whatever. So I think it would be really valuable for everybody if they also knew how to identify these markets before they happened. So what is it that you saw that made you decide like, you know what, I think NFTs are going to blow up. This is something I really want to be a part of. Like what, what was that that allowed you to see that? Nice. That's a super good question. Like, uh, 
personally for me, when I was growing up, I always liked to collect stuff. So like I collected Pokemon cards and shit. I collected US quarters. I collected Mighty Beans. I collected all these different fucking things that uh, I didn't even know why I was doing it. And my like I was getting encouragement too from like my parents. Like I remember my mom went and drove me like hours away. This is like one of my earlier memories of life. Drove me hours away to go get a Charizard and get a Charizard like pre-owned or whatever. So on the secondary market, because we were just trying to rip packs to get the Charizard and it just wasn't happening. So, you know, that was something that I kind of connected when it came to NFTs. I was just like, shit, you know, people are collecting on the blockchain and it's basically what I've been doing my whole life with other random shit. And I saw that, you know, if there's a way to collect something digitally, then it actually makes things a lot easier when it comes to collecting. And it's just a new realm. And it was really interesting to me. And I saw people spending money on these things and spending a lot of money, actually. I thought it was just like a bunch of scams. I was like, how come somebody spending, like, I remember seeing Beeple. If you've heard of Beeple, he's one of the most successful NFT artists um, of all time. And one of his first pieces before he really blew up started like, uh, it was like a bull. Um, and I remember seeing it like, uh, selling to somebody for like a hundred grand or something like that. And I was like, why are people buying this? So I was immediately interested because I saw verifiably someone is spending this much money on this. Then there must be something that they know that I don't. So I kind of started looking into it and I saw that it wasn't really very popular, but I saw the potential of it. And like you're saying, when it comes to like info marketing and stuff, like my background comes from consulting, comes from info marketing and selling courses and um, doing Facebook ads and, you know, direct response marketing to build business. It's the same thing with NFTs. It's just a different market. So it's like, I saw that there's going to be a possibility to blow something up with the right skill set coming into it. So dude, let's talk about that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like hype building, community building, all that kind of stuff that goes into actually making a NFT product successful. And I'm curious from your perspective, like what kind of marketing strategies are being utilized that you're applying there that either you've used or you're seeing used to like make those projects work. Yeah. So like, honestly, everything is really organic in the NFT space. So it's like people aren't really six. I haven't seen any project in the last two years that I've roughly two years that I've been a part of the space using like something like Facebook ads or Instagram ads or Twitter ads to get notoriety and blow up. People typically will see something like that and they'll be like, they're just trying too hard. At least at this stage of the market, it's all about like organic growth and really uh, word of mouth marketing. So that's not really a thing that people do. You're not really buying ads to sell your product in this case, but rather you're actually just going out there and putting out something really cool to an audience that you think will be interested in basically like, buying it to collect or gambling on it that it's going to go up in value. And basically, like, I guess your question was like, uh, what are the strategies that people are using, right? So, like, these strategies are essentially just anything that involves getting people's eyes on something organically. So, like, the main way to do it is just posting your art consistently and sharing sneak peeks if you're doing, like, a larger collection or, you know, just posting art every day, not even art that you're minting onto the blockchain. Like, uh, basically, you're not putting it out there for someone to even buy. It doesn't exist for someone to purchase, but you're just sharing art and getting your name out there. Free content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so putting <laughs> free content. Okay. Yeah, showing people that you have, like, skills 
And then over time, that'll attract different people. And really, the whole entire space exists on Twitter. So a lot of people I know are like on Instagram and like uh, doing marketing on there. But NFTs don't really do well on Instagram, in my opinion, and in my experience. So like Instagram's a different kind of audience. Twitter is where everyone's really hanging out for the NFT space. So just go on Twitter, be organic, share your shit, and the right people will be attracted to it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is like very, it's kind of like almost back to the basics type marketing. It's yeah. like if you apply this to what we do or what a lot of online marketers do, it's like, number one, find where your audience lives. Uh, number two, post content that's relevant to them that will attract them to you and maybe build yourself as an authority. Like if you're posting right. your own art, like you're like, okay, I'm an authority because I have cool art. Look at my art. It's like free stuff. And then you get them in your funnel. You develop a, a relationship with them. So actually, I would like for you to uh, touch on that because I know you like do Twitter spaces. Like that's one of the things. That's one of the mechanisms yes. that builds community there. Kind of like, I mean, in our space, it would probably be like Facebook groups or Facebook Lives. There's like kind of like Twitter space. So how does that work? Yeah. So there's really a couple of different subsets. So there's Twitter spaces that definitely gets your name out there. There's just like general shit posting, which means just like shit posting, po- posting something that's funny that yeah, like is like making Charizard fun of shit. Dick. Yeah, yeah, like something like that, even though that didn't necessarily happen, but uh, it could have, and maybe people would have thought it was funny. But, like, you know, say there's, like, a big event that just happened, and, like, you're just memeing about it, like, posting about it, making jokes. That's a huge way to grow your account and your presence because, really, this whole game, regardless of what you're selling, is giving value and kind of building up this, like, bank account, quote-unquote, of value that you've given others, right? And then eventually when you make an ask to your audience, you're kind of withdrawing all of that so it's like by you making these shit posts quote unquote that are funny to people people look at it they laugh maybe they retweet it or whatever maybe it even goes viral people are going to remember you and then when you if you're an artist or whatever you're doing if you're like putting an ask out there an offer then those people are going to you know have value that you've given them so like same thing with twitter spaces like you don't have to host the space yourself just join in on other people's spaces, request to get on the panel, talk to people, make connections. Ultimately, like people that are coming into the space and they're just like, how do I like blow up my thing so I make a bunch of money? They probably will be doing it for the wrong reason and therefore won't really catch on fire like people will when they're doing it organically. So like if you don't have an ulterior motive like of I'm only doing this to try to sell these people something, but instead you're genuinely vibing, you're genuinely building dope relationships and you're doing it organically you're not trying super hard like you're not trying to con your way there instead you're just making relationships with people it only takes just like making relationships with maybe even just one person who's really well connected that puts you on to their audience and like that was a big part of me when I first started Um, big accounts would start like putting me on on their page I remember uh, one account his name was Sartoshi was uh, always, like, kind of, like, supporting my posts. Like, I would be shit posting. I would comment on his shit. He would comment on mine. He would retweet my stuff sometimes. And he was actually one of the first purchasers of my first generative collection. And I believe that was a factor in it selling out as fast as it did. So, you know, it just comes down to, like, having your heart in it for the right reason, in my opinion. And as long as you do that, like, Twitter spaces, shit posting, um, being active, posting your shit out there, like good art if you're an artist or even if you're not an artist whether you're just a collector like every morning recently i've been doing these like art gms so i'll like 
take a piece of art that I have in my collection, even if it's not like most of the time it's not mine. Um, I actually haven't done one of my own yet since I've started doing the art GMs. Uh, but like I just take somebody else's art that I've collected, whether it's on Ethereum or on Tezos, I will uh, just share it and just say like art GM by this person. I'll tag them. And, uh, you know, that's a way too to like build yeah. some engagement and shit. So it's, it's like, just get creative with it. You're supporting the community too and helping others out. I think there's two things that you said there that are universally really good. Like no matter what business model you're in, like you could even be a brick and mortar and, and these two things would be applicable. I loved what you said about like the goodwill deposits. This is something that I've talked about many times and I learned, I can't remember if it was from my mentor, mentor Andy Frisella or, or who I learned it from. It might've been like uh, Alex Ramosi, but it's just, it, it's so powerful when you make that deposit over and over and over and you never withdraw. And then when you withdraw, it's just a right. massive amount. Right. right. So, and that could just lead to huge revenue. Uh, so the fast forward mastermind, it's a marketing mastermind run by Alan Sultanich. Uh, he did something similar where he was just releasing free content in his Facebook group for like a year and a half, just over and over. He wasn't selling anything. Eventually he sold his mastermind and I th he did like a couple million dollars in a few weeks. Just absolutely insane. Yeah. And then number two, uh, something that you mentioned that the NFT space is doing extremely well right now that I think is vital if you want to have at least a successful info business uh, right now uh, and really any kind of online business where you have followers or you have customers, something like that, is really building and fostering that community. Like having a community of people that interact with you, that are excited to hear from you, that like when they see something that you release, whether it could be a tweet, a Facebook post, an email, an ad, whatever it is, because they're a part of your community and you have that goodwill with them, they're excited to see it. They want to open it. They want to read what you have to say. And then if you do have something to sell them because they're part of your community or whatever, they want to support you, whether it's because they like you or whether it's because they like to follow you and want to learn from you. You know, It's going to be different depending on what industry you're in. But right now with like how much competition there are in marketplaces communities are just so valuable i talked about this exact thing in our marketing meeting at scup this morning and yeah it's just like don't underestimate how powerful a community and like how powerful relationships with your customers are and look a great way to build relationships with your customers is by using roseanne.com sign up for your free trial today <laughs> uh, yeah. 14 day free trial send text messages get customers that love you <laughs> that's just a joke but yeah, I mean, I just love those two things. And I think that people could learn a lot from seeing how the NFT community handles that. And uh, one third thing I wanted to say was I did, I wanted to ask if you saw anything about this, but I was always seeing these ads on YouTube for like this project called mech.com or like mechs.com. Did you hear about that at all or anything? No, there was Mechaverse was a project a long time ago. Yeah. But dude, a lot of these things are like literal scams, like Instagram oh, ads. They're like, Gary Vee's promoting this project. And it's just a lie. And it's like 3,000 supply left. Like, it's minting out now. Yeah. And it's like projects that already minted out a year ago, maybe, and that people have never heard, but they just steal the art and then they repurpose it. So it's like, I don't trust anything that comes from an ad when it comes to NFTs. Dude, I saw a crazy scam going on the other day. So check this out. Here's what, here's what they're <laughs> doing. All right. So actually, I saw this. Okay, so Becker, you know, Big, big ass Bitcoin or, you know, crypto following, right? Yeah. As soon huge. as you post a video, there's like a hundred bots that go leave comments 
inside of his thing and they say something like oh send this is me a cool. dm this is this, no no it doesn't say send me a dm it says oh this is great but i, I can't wait to the amazon q10 arrives it just mentions this amz q10 thing or whatever right AMZ. and like 50 comments the video has nothing the video doesn't even mention that there's there is no amz q10 they just mention oh. amz q10 so what do you do what do people do? Well, they copy that and they fucking, they search it, right? And there's like two videos on AMZ Q10, Q13, Q15, whatever. And it's somebody saying, Amazon is about ready to release their own uh, NFT or crypto project. And you can oh you gosh. can get in right now if you send money to blah, 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 whatever. And they are just spamming comments, acting like it's like this thing that's coming. And dude, it was, dude. It was crazy. Like, I mean... I fall. I, I can immediately identify that clearly. Amazon is not doing this. Wait, you mean Jeff didn't yeah. make this himself? No. They told yeah. me that I was going to be able to get dinner with dinner with Jeff, and he was going to suck my dick. But it's just like <laughs> the you know the the the, the market itself God, is it. so they want to be in on the hot stuff, right? There's a lot of reactivity in the market. There's a lot of everybody trying to get in early on things because if you get in early, you can you can you can really win, right? And it's like. Man, uh, it's the wild west out there, dude. Like yeah. it is very, very much like you have to be triple checking everything you're doing yep. at this stage of yep. NFTs uh, specifically, I think. But, you know, overall with everything, I guess, but especially like when it comes to like, you know, people are always constantly being like, I just got hacked like this and that. And yeah. it's because it just takes one link, one approval, like and people are very clever. So yep. it really just comes down to you know, always doing that due diligence, doing your own research, as they say. So, yeah, you got to be really careful with all that shit. And, and there's like two levels to the market because you have the hyper sophisticated market, which is like you and your peers who are really aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. And then you have the common everyday people who are just trying to get into NFTs because they're hearing about it. And that those people are probably falling for those scams, like just Dude, left and right. They're just obviously fodder, like, like we're not the market for those kinds of scams. Like maybe Clayton and I might fall for like a really good one, but I, I doubt that you would. And but like these everyday people are these grandmothers or, you know, just kids or yeah, whoever. Scammers. Right. Like, you know, my, I might have told my dad about NFTs. Be like oh that sounds interesting and then you know my dad watches youtube he gets hit with my ads he likes to tell me about it and nice. he's like oh i feel like i'm my son's famous like, <laughs> like, dad, don't watch those they're so embarrassing but you know if he sees an ad like that he'd probably fucking buy it and then he'd tell me about it and you know it'd probably, oh like, this whole gosh thing. yeah and you know so i'm like dude it's it's just crazy um i think that because it's so easy to scam people like they have they probably will end up doing some sort of regulation right like they already have know your customer on uh, Bitcoin or the Coinbase crypto platforms. Well, almost all crypto platforms have the know your customer stuff now for IRS as well as like scam reasons, like money laundering, all these different things. Yeah, dude. But um, you know, there's got to be something. It, it's so interesting, I, and I, I'd like to get your opinion on this because uh, I'm I identify as a libertarian, so I'm like all again uh, for you know governments not intervening and doing a lot of self governing. But at the same time, there's a lot of really stupid fucking people out there, and they're going to continue to get scammed because they're fucking dumb and they refuse to learn, right? They just don't care. They're, I, I don't understand it. But um, so it's like we can't just have it be the wild, wild west forever. I would right. like, I think it'd be cool if it could be. And in an ideal world, it would be. But we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a real world where people, like I said, are fucking dumb. So what do you think? Like, 
Yeah. Do, should there be like some sort of government intervention into scams like these? Like, do you wish the government would stay out of crypto and NFTs altogether? Uh, well, you know, regulation is going to like have to take place at some point, right? Like, it's really tough to track all of these transactions, and like, eventually, there's going to be a way that it's possible to track. But, uh, you know, essentially, like, people are going to scam no matter what. Oh, like. Yeah. If you go to any big city, people are scamming, you know, it's just a classic thing. You can't really stop it, but you can create awareness and you can create like barriers for people. Like uh, you can improve some of these primitive type of uh, softwares and primitive type of platforms that people are using in order to make them less easy to scam people. Like some examples would be like, um, you know, on OpenSea, which is where everybody really mostly trades NFTs, it's like largest NFT marketplace online. It's decentralized. You don't need to KYC to be a part of it. And basically what people used to do is like, um, like for example, Board Ape Yacht Club is a really popular NFT project and it basically surged up to 150 ETH at one point in floor price. Uh, at the time, it was over, it was close to a million bucks, dude. Because it was like $4,000 ETH, all that. But basically there's another token called DAI, D-A-I, and it's a stable coin, which means that you can basically keep your money in it without it fluctuating, essentially. Like USDC, um, basically put US dollars in a die, and it's like a thousand bucks. If die is still going to be a thousand dollars, right? But what people would do is, since the symbol for die and Ethereum were both similar, except the Ethereum logo is bluish, die was more yellow. People would put offers on mass collections like board apes. Um, for like 10 die or 100 die, right? If the floor was 100 ETH, 100 die is $100. Yeah. 100 ETH is closer to $400,000, right? So at the time. So people would then get caught accepting these things and oh, things like shit. that. So it's like now platforms have developed to where it's like, hey, like realize this is 99.9% .9 cheaper than the, the floor price. Like yeah. don't accept this or... Give you that warning, yeah, like yeah. click it now. Now it does, yeah. And MetaMask yeah, too needed that. gives warnings like, hey, this is trying to access your insert collection here. Do you, are you sure you want to do this? Because sometimes people want you to mint something and it's actually asking for access to your entire wallet. So it'll just wallet drain you oh. when you try to mint. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, man. dude, it's nuts. Like, yeah, it's no like people are deflecting. You just wake up, you're deflecting scams all day. But it's a fun place to be. And, uh, yeah. you know, it does have its pros and cons. And I think that you got to really enjoy it. Like, dude, because you're yeah. in the golden age of the community, right? It won't, it won't be this way forever. You know, eventually yeah. it'll be like a mainstream thing. And, you know, I, I often think back to when I was a kid playing like Diablo 2 for the first time or World of Warcraft for the first time or even Counter-Strike for the first time in the communities that I had within those games. And, you know, it would be right. different if I was an adult. Like, I could have been in something like the NFT community and you know these novel experiences dude just going back to that it's like it's so crazy because nothing like it has existed before so you know when World of Warcraft first came out it's like dude I'm playing video games in like this world online and I'm talking with people yeah. this is insane and it just felt so I felt like I was living in the future almost and it was just crazy and I would wake up and I'm just so excited to be a part of it you know and I feel like you get to live that now with the community and what you guys are doing and your shit posting and just having fun doing your <laughs> Twitter spaces and like hanging out, making money, creating art, 
that yeah. you guys are proud of. Uh, hopefully, you know, some people probably make shit and sell it and make a ton of money anyways. But, you know, yeah, uh, I know you at, at least really care about your art. And I, I watch you doing it every day. I mean, dude. It just seems like a really amazing experience. Dude, it is literally like you're saying. Like, it reminds me so much to me, like, Xbox Live early days. Like, you're just hanging out with your boys. Everyone's got a gamer tag. You're not going by, like, your in-real-life name. So you're just, like, creating friends online. You have no idea what they look like or what they, like, you don't know anything besides that they have a gamer tag and an avatar and that they're cool because you're playing with them and they're chill or whatever. And, like, you know, you probably made some friends like that when you were younger that you had no idea about them, you have no idea where they are now, but they were like your best friend online. And that's kind of like what the NFT space is to me right now. It's like, you know, I've made so many good friends in this space and good connections and um, truly like people that I think I'll know for my entire life. And, you know, that's because of that kind of culture that's kind of been fostered without having to label everybody by their name or their skin color or what they believe in or any of that bullshit. It's just by vibes, really. That's what's cool about it. Yeah, man. Um, I'm curious in terms of like uh, s- switching gears a little bit in, ter- in terms of like money. Um, some of so I think some of the reason for the boom of NFTs is because like the value of you know the value of Ethereum or whatever exploded, right? So you had people yeah. that put a little bit in. They were early adopters. Then the value of it exploded, so they had a lot of money to put into NFTs, right? And that kind of fueled a little True. bit of the NFT space. And around this time, I mean, you know, in 2020, the last few years, uh, money has been on the top of a lot of people's minds, especially with you know, people losing their jobs and the government printing all this money. And there's this big, um, you know, kind of talk about how, you know, is Bitcoin, Ethereum, is crypto going to be the future of money because of all the money games that are being played now? You know, um, when, com- when, when countries start printing lots of money at the end of their empires or whatever, you see massive inflation and they, they lose their value. And one of the things about crypto me. is, you know, you can't print anymore, at least not of Bitcoin, right? Other, other right. currencies, you, they, they do print more. Um, uh, however, so this is like the longest question ever, but yeah, I'm setting it up. So, mm. y- you know, uh, in the, in the cycles you see like, uh, uh, Bitcoin coming up and down and you, you, you want like a currency to be stable. And also, like, when you see, um, you see, like, uh, you just see Bitcoin, like, fluctuating so much. So, I, I don't, I'm curious, t- for your perspective, do you see this as kind of being a replacement for U.S. dollars? Is it going to be another tool? Like, how is it playing out for you as you see it? To be honest, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, like, it's impossible to say. But, you know, I think down the line, eventually, Ethereum will flip Bitcoin. Like, That's my personal belief. And what that would mean is that the market cap of Ethereum would be larger than the market cap of Bitcoin. And if that did happen, I could see Bitcoin becoming like a kind of an antiquated token because there is literally no use for it besides that people decided that there was a use for it. And essentially it was for to like paying for stuff, but then it kind of turned into digital gold as the narrative. So then people started looking at it with that narrative. And it's all about narratives, right? This whole entire space is built around bag holders, a.k.a. people who have tokens of a certain kind or NFTs. equivalent to a whale? Well, no. Like, anybody can hold something. So, like, what I mean by bag holder is just, like, somebody who is holding a token or an NFT. And that would give them an incentive to follow along with a narrative or create a narrative. And 
large influencers have abilities to create narratives and the whole space is driven around influencers of all kinds building narratives around their bags so like the biggest narrative for bitcoin is that it's digital gold that came from bag holders in the early days of bitcoin being like dude this is kind of like gold right so then they started like basically being like this is the next big thing and they built that narrative up so massively to where bitcoin was like sixty thousand dollars and uh you know, like it's just about all of that. So it's like in the future, is it going to replace the U.S. dollar? Well, if the narrative allows for it, then, you know, if the government allows for it, like if all the things kind of fall into place for it, maybe. But to me, I don't personally think so. But like what I do know is that like day to day playing the game, it doesn't really matter about like whether Bitcoin becomes the next U.S. dollar or Ethereum becomes the next U.S. dollar, which I don't think either of them would because they're not stable. Um, maybe a central bank uh, digital currency would become the next U.S. dollar. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, it's more trackable than U.S. dollar. Well, I, I mean, to some, extent, to some extent, I mean, there, the, most of the money in the U.S. is digital anyway. I mean, that's right. That's the, true. The, he is the right. When the Federal Reserve creates a bunch of money, sometimes they print money, but a lot of times it's just in a database, right? I mean, yeah. like all 99% of my money is not cash. I have probably $40 in cash on me. And then well, like, look at the bank account. It's a lot bigger than that. Um, but, but I mean, that's, and, and most of our 40. transactions are not cash. I mean, you know, other countries might be different, um, but here in the U.S., most purchases are made through Apple Pay credit cards. So like, that's it's already true. digital. So it already is digital yeah. and trackable. So it's yeah. like the only difference would be just like your bank issuing you well, a currency that's different. It, I guess it, I don't the, know. it's it's trackable, but it's it's not it's not the same. Let me let me tell you why. Because the U.S. government cannot just look into your bank account. They need a warrant. Yeah, they don't word, have access word. to that that kind of data. If if you are on the blockchain and you're doing things like KYC, it becomes a, li a yeah. little bit different because now if they can figure out what your wallet address is, right, then they do have access to all your data. So it's yeah. it's a lot coming from someone who really appreciates privacy. I'm actually more weary about things like uh, blockchain transactions than I am with the banking system how it is. Obviously, you know, the big issue with the U.S. dollar is that it's a fiat currency. If it wasn't a fiat currency, nobody would have issues with the U.S. dollar because then they just couldn't print more of it, right? Yeah. That, I, think, I think the banking system as it is uh, could probably use improvements. I don't know what they are um, personally, but the biggest thing is just how the reserve works, how we value money. I think money should be backed by something. And that is, like, I, I don't know. It's difficult to say. Like It's confusing. The, yeah. with, with Bitcoin, it's kind of cool because it's like we're still valuing it in U.S. dollars, but it's backed by the coin, and the coin is scarce, yeah, right? right? And that's where the argument comes that it is like – Gold, because it's like go the gold is scarce. Bitcoin is scarce. Can't print more gold. Uh, can't print more Bitcoin. And as long as we agree that gold is valuable, as long as we agree, because, I mean, just like Bitcoin is not intrinsically valuable, gold isn't either. We choose to place value on it because we like it for jewelry and things. So it does give it a use, while Bitcoin may right. not necessarily have a use. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's a... A lot more because we're still going to have i don't know as long as we're using fiat type currencies like we're going to have issues in the banking world 
I, I don't see a way to fix it long term unless we move away from the fiat. Well, I, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest problem with current money right now that we're experiencing is the government's ability to print lots of it and basically, you know, yeah, de- make it. They just it, do it. it. It's, it's inflation. So now the same dollars that I worked for yesterday cannot buy me the, the same amount. Now, there's some arguments to say that like a, a small amount of inflation is actually good for an economy. Like they say like about 2%, that's what they shoot for. Because if you don't have any inflation, then it doesn't encourage people to actually spend their money. And people spending money, that helps gen- makes yeah. the economy go, right? So if you have a little bit of inflation, actually not bad for the economy. But when you have like literally in my life, what I've seen in my own payments going out, so it's not like the consumer index, I see literally 20 to 25% increase in life. I mean, when I have about $2,000 a month of rent and uh, it's like $1,700 a month, excuse me, $1,700 a month. And uh, like that was like two years ago. Then it was like 1,900. And then uh, my last rent increase, they wanted to do $500, $500 up. So that's 25%. A haircut went from 50 bucks to 75. Um, so I'm, I'm talking like real shit that I buy is 20% yeah. up. And uh, that's okay for me because luckily, you know, I'm, well, I've, been pro- I've been productive in my life and I've had a good, good career so far, but that's like the, not the same for everybody, you know? Um, and so that, that, that to me seems like the biggest problem. And if you have like Bitcoin where it can't, uh, like you want to, if you have your Bitcoin, it will be, the, it will be worth the same or will be more theoretically um, forever. I mean, that would be the problem that we'd be solving with this, but to, to be honest, it doesn't seem like that's the case. You know, like when the U.S. dollar inflates, the the Bitcoin is, is not acting as a uh, is going the opposite way. You know, it can be it's actually following the U.S. stock market. So when the U.S. stock market goes right. down, Bitcoin is going down too. So it's not a good place to put your money. If it is tied to the macro scale of yeah. things, it's yeah. definitely it used to kind of not be right. I'm not the yeah. biggest expert to talk on that type of stuff, yeah. but shut up, you know. Satoshi's mom. Tell us, <laughs> you're you are our. Bitcoin guru. Um, <laughs> no, I actually, I think this is an interesting conversation, and it's typically not what we talk about on the Rowdy Boys. But I want to talk to you guys about uh, a little thought experiment I was doing yesterday because we're on the topic, and I just think, well, we might as well discuss it. Maybe viewers will find it interesting. So I was thinking uh, yesterday, I was trying to think about inflation, and I was trying to think about currency and all that. So the thought process I was going through is like, well, what would happen? Like, how, how would prices change, and how would things affect if there was never more money printed. So like if business valuations go up, but there's not more money to go around, like where does this money come from? Is it all speculative? Like I, I just, I'm trying to understand Damn. like. Good question. Well, I, I don't think it matters because it, 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 everything self adjusts to a supply and demand curve, right? Yes. So it, everything would adjust. The, the, the thing that's hard is when the, v- the value changes from day to day by artificially giving out money for no value in service. Like a dollar could be could mean anything, but it changes when you start giving dollars for nothing, right? All money is just a representation of agreed value, right? It's just, we just agree that a dollar's worth this, right? And that's why US is so powerful, the US dollar is so powerful because we got it to a bunch of people, even all over the world to agree that this is worth about Thanks this. And it's very II. stable, right? It's It's, more stable than a lot of other currencies, right? Because we have so much power. The, the problem is when you print a bunch, 
you know, we can probably still get other countries to agree. It can still be strong. But if you do too much of that over time, it changes a lot. That's why things are so much more, quote unquote, expensive right now. Or even when the stock market went up a lot. It actually, the stock market didn't really, it, it, it went up like this. The numbers went up. But actually, you know, your the value of your dollar decreased. So it, yeah, did, did you actually facade. make a lot of money in the stock market? It's got to outpace your inflation rate. Well, either way, I mean, it's better than not being in the market, right? Like, well, sure. I mean, it's market. like if you want to win, it makes you think that, okay, the way to win is uh, you got to you gotta own stuff. I, I mean, these are really important lessons. I know this is like different than normal rowdy boys, but this is important because what are we actually trying to do anyway with marketing? We're trying to get the money. Well, if the, if the idea of the money changes, then everything changes, right? Yeah, but the so we have to understand how to win at life. Our goal at rowdy boys is to make people million-dollar marketers, right? So, billion. Uh, so uh, uh, we might have to change that to two million. That might need, be, need to be our new goal. You got to account for inflation. <laughs> but, so one point two million might do it. One point three. Yeah, it, yeah. It's interesting yeah. too because, like, if you look at the stock market, a lot of the time, like, they're not actually increasing their, what is it, their gross product? I can't remember what the the technical term is. It. Um, do you know what it's called? Like, I don't know. Well, yeah. So a lot of the times. When a stock goes up like seven, you know, if we look at the S and P 500, if you know, on average we're getting like seven to eight percent returns year over year, like five percent of that is actually just inflation, and then the other, yeah, yep. the the businesses are really only becoming one to two percent more productive year over year. Yep. they're not becoming seven percent more productive. Yep. That is just the cash flow getting larger, you know, and you can see that in assets, yep. which would be like housing and stuff. So. I mean, it's just all really interesting. Like people have a, a gross, including myself for a long time. And I'm still very, my knowledge is, is very poor, but a gross misunderstanding of how yeah. the markets actually work and how money does work. And it is an extremely valuable lesson that I still need to educate myself on every single day. There's a really good book on it. I think it's called debt. I sent it to Stephen while ago or yeah, this, this is why you got to learn how to play the game i mean because you know people could have a house and they're like they, they have a house and they have it for five years and then it goes up and they sell it for a hundred thousand dollars more and they're like wow i made a hundred thousand dollars and then they go to buy a new house and the, the other house is worth right beside it it's like worth a hundred thousand dollars more than it was before so it's just like you traded the same for the same so the only way but it, it would have sucked if you would have kept that uh same payment for your house in your bank account because that would not have grown in value at all so it's like if you want to win you must get the money first and then you must invest in assets they say that rich people sell a lot of stuff and wealthy people never sell anything so i thought about that you know quite a bit as a you know, we're, we're, we're going along because look, if you own the assets, they'll number one, always appreciate, but number two, you'll have the control of the, of the things to sell to people. Well, assets don't always appreciate. Well, over time, we're talking about like long-term overtime and good assets. The way to Most get rich assets. is to have a fucking business, number one, but that's highly volatile. Which is an asset. In it is an asset in itself for sure. You own the stock of the company, right? Yeah. You own the shares of the company. And, um, uh, th that's like the number one way, to, but it's it's extremely volatile. Most people can't own a business because they're not either not motivated enough, they're not disciplined enough, they they don't ha they don't have interest in doing that. Um, and then you know th if you can do that, that would be the number one way because you, that's the best returns you could possibly get is like owning your own business. Uh, and then I I do think that the second best one is is property. Like the yeah more yeah. More then I you got into it mm -hmm. if you look at like the past yeah. hundred or so years. Like property has been going up, I, man. I can't remember the stat, but I think it was like ten percent per year, yeah. every year for like a hundred years. Which means, and that's compounding on top of each other. 
So it's actually a ridiculously gross increase. Like if you had $50,000 and you kept that in cash, like yeah, let's it's say just if exponential. You, yeah, if you had $50,000 in cash in the year 1900 and you kept it as cash, it'd be worth jack shit right now. I mean, it'd yeah, obviously yeah. be worth like $50,000, but the buying power's significantly yeah, yeah. decreased. But oh, if yeah. you put $50,000 into property, in the 1900, it'd be worth like $10 million right Dude, now. Maybe more, like yeah. depending on like, you know, different Where, factors of the property. Yeah, there's certain things like back then waterfront property wasn't as desirable as it is now. So you might've been able to get waterfront property, like really cheap location, and even fertility of the land, like different things like this, the type of dirt, of the women, the women in the area, property. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, like the actual asset itself is like going to dictate a lot when it comes to land. But like, you're right, man. Like assets are the way it's really having a cash flow business and then being able to, if you're smart enough to pick the right assets and then, you know, just kind of keep that flowing. Otherwise you're kind of just chasing your own tail in a way when it comes to just holding a bunch of money. But well, I know. think this is probably, it, it, it's very applicable in the NFT space. And I'm curious, like kind of how you play the game because I, what the, the game that I was describing earlier was take like short term gains or take them, you know, the short-term money that you get from your business, because businesses are, are more volatile than other assets, and then you put them into longer-term things, right? And when I'm speaking about this, I'm speaking in terms of, like, 5, 10-year, 20, 30, 40 years on the longer-term assets type, you know, investing schedule, but that is highly shortened when we're talking about NFTs. I mean, you get an NFT one day, and you might be even flip flipping it the same day, you yeah, know, yeah, and so you definitely. make your money right there in that type of business. So then what do you do with your money after that? Well, you know, you can hold the certain NFTs. You can basically, you know, like if you believe in a project long term yeah. then definitely hold on to it. Like, but in the reality of it, there's been a lot of like posts on Twitter recently, especially about like all time highs of all the popular projects versus where they are now. Yeah. Um, cause you know, Ethereum hit over $4,000 and now Ethereum's like 15, 1600 as of the time of this recording. So oh, yeah. putting that, putting that into perspective, like if you bought a board ape for 150 ETH at $4,000 and now board ape floor is like 70 ETH and ETH is like 1500. That's like a double whammy on your you can look USD. At, most of these are like so 90% drawdowns. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you believe massively in this, but at what point does it become irresponsible to not take profits? Exactly. That's yeah. the question. So it's like, to me, like that's subjective on every person. So, True. you know, a certain person, maybe they're very wealthy already and it's not very irresponsible for them to, you know, hold on to their board ape when they're up 300 grand or $400,000 or even maybe 500 K plus. But for someone who like, never had shit and then they got a board ape luckily and it's like winning the lottery they uh got it when it was really cheap and now yeah. it's worth like you know however much it, like a quick example is i was in new york for nft nyc at this party that this company uh the hundreds was throwing it was this big party and there's a bunch of people there and uh steve aoki was there like he was djing it it was a big huge thing it was really exclusive and fun and basically this kid there he was like dude uh, he saw me like talking to this girl and her friend. He's like, dude, for some reason I trust you because you're talking to these girls and whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, dude, I have to tell somebody this. Like, I've got this board ape, but look at my bank account. 
and he shows me a bank account and it's got like $12 in it. And I was like, dude, oh I was like, holy shit. I was like, he's like, dude, but I'm not selling. And I'm like, why? I was like, man, like this is really a good example to think about because, you know, when you're caught up in it so much and after that point, it did go up a little bit more, I but um, it went down massively after that. Right. So um, even still now say, you know, you're still making a hundred grand off it plus, but the point is that, you know, that's kind of irresponsible. But if that guy, same guy was like, yeah, dude, I got this board ape. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like <laughs> if they're not hurting for cash, I mean, like, even if you're not hurting for cash, I feel like sometimes you got to take that profit off the table. For me, yeah. I am always taking profits off the table. I'm like very aggressively selling like pretty often. Yep. So I personally don't like to bag hold stuff. And I think that when it comes to NFTs as assets, it's a game of hot potato in the most, most cases. In bull markets, you'll maybe catch yourself playing hot potato and then selling it off for some profits and being like, damn, if I would have held that, that could have been life-changing for you know, many people or for yourself. But in this current market, when things are bearish, I personally look at everything as kind of like a hot potato game. And I do... A lot of momentum trading so i'll notice things before other people or i'll uh basically get into things as early as i can and then i'll look to sell into momentum so like you know when a chart is going straight up like a literal line directly 180 degrees up run <laughs> i'm like dude like i should be selling this right yeah, so yeah. it's like that's how i trade but um, i'm not always like that i will hold stuff but it really just depends for me. Yeah. I, I look at it as a you, transaction. Do you have like target profits that you try to hit? Like if you buy something for a hundred bucks, you try to sell it for 200 or you try to sell it for 120 or like depends on the sentiment and like what they've got rolling and yeah. a lot of factors. It depends on who's buying it. it. depends on how like long it's been around. Like, is it brand okay. new? What's the momentum like right oh, now? Yeah. Um, you know, if I bought something for a hundred bucks and then the price is now at 300, and uh, normally I'd be like, this seems like a good time to take some profits. I like to break even pretty quick. If I buy a bunch of them for $100 a piece, oh, okay. then I'll like say like, you know, I bought $1,000 worth, 10 of them at 100 yeah, and the price goes up to 200 investment. Then I'll take out five so I have nothing. And I'm just free rolling yeah. those. And uh, the psychological impact there is big because now you're not thinking about it as much. But the point is like, if you're up massively and yet you see there's like 50 pending transactions in the last minute. And you're like, yeah, I'm up 300 versus 100, but it looks like it's about to supersede 400, 500. Then it's a different game, you know? So it's like about looking at these things and having the right data analytics, like having the right tools, having access, knowing the right things to be using is huge. Like, otherwise you're in the dark. Like, you don't know how many sales were in the last 10 minutes, last yeah. one minute, last hour. You don't know how much volume is being pumped in. You don't know who's buying, how big their wallets are. Uh, you have to know all that stuff in order to have an edge in the market. I, I think that mental game of just trying to get your money back is a, is a good, is an interesting thing. Like, I, I mean, let's say if you're going to buy a business, you know, one of the first things that you try to do is structure the deal in a way that like it protects your original investment. That'd be a smart thing to do. And then after that, if it grows, great. You know, it's probably set up to grow. But same thing you're doing, right? You buy a, a, a handful of the, the same guys just try to get your money back first and then if it goes yeah. up it or whatever it doesn't matter because you you already got back your original investment i think that's a, a smart way uh to think about it 
Um, but at, let's say post sale, are you taking your money and putting them in longer term things, or are you just taking profits? You'll figure that out later. Or like, what's your kind of view on taking the profits and what you do with that money more long term? So robux. What well, get some robux? You yeah, know, yeah, you robux. robux. Roseanne is one of the best no, platforms. Robux is from Roblox, dog. Oh, oh shit! We should have Roseanne bucks though, dude. Ro- <laughs> robux, the Roseanne. Or fuck. Yeah, no, <laughs> Roblox. Roseanne Roblox. Okay, sorry to interrupt, but the Roblox currency is literally worth more than the Russian currency, oh, which is insane. Anyways. Not surprising. But uh, yeah, you know, like, I think that, you know, I like to reinvest into new projects. Okay. I love, like, like... reinvesting into your business, basically? Yeah, like, yeah. that's really my main thing. Like, of course, it's good to take some money out and stuff, but yeah. I'm more interested in, like, keeping things sidelined for new opportunities and the thing to realize is every day there's plenty of opportunities in the NFT space. Like even if the market is really shit, like it is kind of now, it's there's still tons of opportunities. But like back in the bullish market that we were in, where you're buying anything and it's pretty much going up, you have to realize that you're in that type of market and not think that that's going to be like that forever. Because the thing you're going to think, like Tony Robbins says, when shit's going bad, people think people it's going to go bad forever. Yep. Shit's going good. People think it's going to go good forever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we have to realize that and like then kind of act accordingly because like in a bull market, you're more so trying to take profits healthily and usually aggressively uh, or at least semi-aggressively depending on your trading strategy um, as things were moving up. But in a bear market, you're in a wealth preservation mode. So like to me, I'm not looking to like ape my entire stack in the stuff. I'm like really cautious at this point of what I do allocate Ethereum towards or allocate like um, really any type of crypto towards because the market's not in the same kind of state. But once we do flip more bullish again, then I will start getting more aggressive and more like, uh, you know, buying more stuff. But like right now it's like, you know, say you have an amazing trade, you make like 500% profits I'm not going to take that whole 500% and just start reinvesting it. I'll probably maybe take 20% of it and then I'll like move it towards something else. But you know, it just kind of depends. Like, of course there's like real life as well. Like this is just another little world with this internet currency. So it's like, you got to take care of yourself, take money out and like um, hold some money, right? Like in the real world. But you know, it's really fun to, you know, play with Ethereum and buy NFTs. And it's fun to like ape into shit with your boys and your friends. <laughs> like you're all going in together. So it's like now like it's a group thing. So there's a lot of like alpha groups, people call them in the NFT space where like, or in the crypto space too, where you're getting like kind of information about stuff from people. So uh, yeah, you always want to have capital sidelines because if you don't, then you're not able to take advantage of all those opportunities. Because you're too tied up now in one super convicted trade. And I've done that plenty of times. Like, even if you have the world's largest conviction on a business or a trade or on anything, if you ape your entire stack into it, then your mind is not going to be in the right place to be able to usually even create the profitable, like, profitable move. Like, you're probably just going to fuck it up because your mind is now over allocated, you're over invested. Right. And once yeah. you're overinvested and over leveraged, all logic starts to deteriorate. Yeah. So you have to be careful with that. I you think know, this is interesting, man. Sorry. Stay liquid. Really. It's just so important, like, to realize when it comes to business, when it comes to money, when it comes to finance, like, 
there's hardly ever place for emotion in there. There might be like some times where you're like, you have a feeling and you really just want to follow it. Right. And that I would call is going off emotion. And like, you know, if you have that gut feeling and you're a million percent sure it's right. Or, all right, maybe try it out. But like, I would or say maybe don't. Yeah, or don't <laughs> yeah even, because you're, you're a million percent sure. 98, <laughs> probably like 98 to 99% of the time, there's just no room for emotion in business. Like business is is literally all math. It's like ones and zeros. There's no gray area. Yeah, but right? I don't know, man. I Sometimes mean, you need some emotion to get it like started. No, you and do, you know, but you yeah. can't make decisions based yeah, off yeah. emotion. I, and I, what I mean by that is if you look at something that's clearly not working, yeah. but you're emotionally attached to it, right? Yeah. you just can't be. You have to fucking give up on it. And like you have to think logically. Huh. And that's why I, I always like b- breaking business down to math. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Dude. All it ever is 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 math. And when you're running the kind of business we are, anyways, it's always math, right? We have like our CLTV, our trial to um, activation ratio. We have average order values. Like we have all these different things. It's all numbers. And when you break down the numbers, it's become so easy to make decisions. You never have to rely on emotion because you have numbers. Numbers don't lie to you. They tell you the truth unless you have bad data for some reason. But, you know, we're operating under the premise that we have good data and it's like, all right, and numbers don't lie. Let's go with it. And then, like, if we look at the NFT space, we have history to show us, like, what kind of decisions to make. Because most projects, I'm sure, follow similar patterns. Right. And you just look at the data from – and you've got some really cool tools you use that you show me, like sentiment analysis, and they do like all these different yeah, cool just things. Just raw data. Yeah, you like, follow what the data says and you make decisions based off of it. Emotional responses are normal when it comes to investing your capital. Weak. Yeah, but at the same time, though, thinking about it, yeah. like the best traders that I know, the best business people that I know, are very much emotion free when it comes to their business and their trading. Like the best traders I know, if they take a huge loss, they're not whining about it. They're not crying about it. They're not like all weird and stressed out. Like maybe for a little while, like again, relating back to Tony Robbins, like something happens to you. He allows himself to have like a minute or five minutes of like, damn it. Like, why did I do that? I'm such an idiot or whatever the hell he does to like get it out of his system. And then afterwards it's like no more. Like I'm done bitching and complaining about this. I'm letting it go. And the whole thing is like in business, in trading, especially in trading, I really notice like the best people are very emotion free. Yeah. And it's like they even have a saying for it. FUD, right? Like fear, uncertainty, doubt. Those are all emotions and they're all fucking terrible things, right? You don't yeah. want those. You have no space for those. And that's why they're, you know, all the fucking degens. I don't know any of the lingo. I'm just saying a bunch of shit, right? <laughs> like, yeah, no, you know the, the lingo. Out One time I was listening to a podcast with you, and like you were saying so much stuff, I like literally, I, I couldn't even like. There's like, there's an entire <laughs> la- language that I can't understand. Yeah, he's like, I, I fomoed like, into the you know, rug pull, then I dude, uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's dude, like, dude, it works on be, both sides, you know. My kids are gonna be talking, and I'm gonna be like, "What are you saying?" You know, it's like, <laughs> shut the fuck. So Dude, I got to keep up on the lingo, you know? Having big wins, though, talking about big losses, one thing, yeah. having big wins is another insidious one, even in business, too, obviously. Yeah. It's all, like, universal when it comes to these concepts. But, yeah. like, say you have a huge win. Then, by default, you are somewhat programmed to be more risk-averse, which I think I'm saying that the right way, meaning you're more likely to take risk because you had a big win. 
So like understanding these things about the human emotion and psychology allows you to kind of take a step back. Cause like if your default is that now you're going to take on more risk cause you had a big, big win, whether that's selling a business or like having a big day in your business, maybe now you're like, let's hire all those employees. Like we always wanted to, um, just cause you finally have the money to do it now. Or like, you're like, let's do that next big thing that we've always wanted to do just cause we had this one win because now you're reacting to the game instead of being in the place to, you know, be at the cause. Right. So when you have a big trade, you crushed it. Say you made a hundred grand up one trade. Now you're like, fuck it. I'll degen 50 K into this stupid, um, derivative cat pixel. <laughs> and you're like, fuck it. Let's do it, dude. This might go to like one ETH. Who knows? Yeah. And you're buying it at 0.01 right now. Yeah. But then next thing you know, you've spent 50 K on this in the blink of an eye. And you're just like, Oh, well now that's all gone. And, uh, you wouldn't have done that if you didn't have that big win. Right. So yeah. noticing those emotions is key. It's like think. the dopamine. It's the same thing that happens with gambling. Like when 100%. You, when you go gambling and you get a big win and then you, you want that dopamine feeling back. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to do another one. You know? Yeah, you're not thinking the same way. And, and it, well, there's other downsides too. And I think that you were saying this as well, but you know, Clayton and I, we talk about like nothing's worse than when your first marketing campaign just fucking crushes it because it sets unrealistic expectations for what it's actually like, you know? That's funny. And then you expect every single one to hit after that. And you're like, wait, why is this not working? I don't understand. Dude, I even hear like a very famous marketers talk about how like their shit bombs constantly. You know what I mean? Like it's not... It, it, a lot of things can go to your head in terms of like the ego. I'm curious for you, dude. Um, like, have you had things happen? Like, what are some teachable moments? And like, how do you, how do you keep your emotions in check? Yeah, dude. Um, definitely. There's been like, okay. So like one of the first times I lost like a decent sum of money, which at the time was about like 25 grand off like one trade. Wow. So I was like pretty down bad after that. I was like, damn, like this sucks. And actually fucked me up for like a whole day. I was wow. like whole day. Wow. Yeah. Well, One look, day. yeah. Cause I only <laughs> let it happen. Lost 25 grand. They'd be pissed for a year. Yeah. Well, look <laughs> like you got to realize that you're in the game. You're playing the game. You risked yeah, yeah. that. You made that well, decision. Already, you I already know you. Cause I know you is like your risk tolerance is higher than uh, probably the average person. You know? Definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I do make big bets, but you know, you gotta be willing that, you know, the other opposite thing could happen. So like when you're spending on something, and if you're over leveraged, I've learned that like it's going to fuck with your mind in a way that you're not going to be able to make the best decision. Yeah. So even if you're 100 percent convicted, if you over leverage yourself, you'll probably end up fumbling that bag because you're just going to be like unable to think clearly and you'll be too reactive to what's happening in the market. And minor upswings or downswings might cause you to like have different way of thinking. But basically, like an example, when I lost like 25K off one trade, I was like, shit, well, you know. What have I learned? Like, uh, I consulted my mentors and they were like, look, man, like we pay to learn in this space and free lessons don't teach. So you got to realize like Damn. once you've hit that big loss, like you're honestly learning something from it. So you got to decide that there's something for you to learn there. Like what caused that? It's often that we don't really think about what made us win when we do have big winning trades. But instead, we often think about what made us lose when we have losing trades. So it's like that quote that they say, you know, when you celebrate, um, when you have success, you celebrate. But when you lose, you ponder. And all success comes from pondering. So in reality, like, 
Yeah. Deep. Bro. That's pretty deep, watch right? Yeah. Watch this. Watch this. Nice. Look at that <laughs> mic drop. Just drop the fucking mic. Yeah. So it's like the point is when you lose, you actually have the opportunity to learn something. Losing is actually the more valuable experience oh, because yeah. it's going to give you the win versus when you win, you just go and celebrate, right? And that's great. But you got to think too, if you're winning, what made you win? That's another hack. So for me, like having these losing trades every single time that I do it, I'll feel bad usually for a certain amount of time. Sometimes it might fuck with me a little longer than others, but I know that tomorrow's another day. There's more opportunities. And as long as you can live to see another day, you're, you're going to make it like you just need to not knock yourself out of the game. Otherwise then you're, you're not going to make it. Bro, you know? that, that was fucking massive. I feel like we have to edit that part out and just like put that up by itself. Nice. Let's go. Dude, you fucking crushed it. I think you worded that so well. I've, I've heard nice. it. You know, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday myself, and uh, the obstacle is the way. Essentially, right. the entire premise of the book is what you just said. And, dude, I think you that is just such a valuable lesson. If anyone ever wants to accomplish anything in life, that is the lesson they need to hear. Yeah, that, dude. That is huge. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're trying to learn how to have better sex with your girl, you know, you're trying to fuck the, her brains out or whatever. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that was just a joke. You know, I got to keep it rowdy. We got to insert a little rowdy, rowdy. Every, every now and then um, or else, you know, it'd be off brand. But like if you're trying to learn how to play guitar, let's say you're trying to get good at a video game, get good at golf, trying to be better in your relationship even, like be a better father, be a better son, uh, whether it's make more money in your business, anything like that is the key lesson. If things are working in the relationship, if things are working when you're learning the skill, if things are working when you're golfing, if things are working when you're building your business, whatever it is, analyze why it's working, right? Yeah, yeah. And then if it doesn't work, like you said, ponder, figure out why, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's how you get better. And dude, it's so true because whenever I would golf, whenever I would do a hit really bad, I'd be like, all right, what the fuck did I do wrong, right? right. But then when I, I drive it straight down the fairway, I'm just like, hell yeah, I'm the like, shit, yeah. right? Like, I don't think about it at all. I don't think about what my form was like or anything. I'm just like, yeah, it was shit right there. That's what's up, baby. You guys see that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Ladies you around oh, here? Is the, is the cart girl watching? And like, <laughs> but, dude, I just think that was, you crushed it, man. I, I've never heard that worded so well. Damn, thanks, man. Good job. That means a lot coming from you. Appreciate oh. that. Dude, um, at one point in time, you told me uh, you you're talking about how, like, understanding game theory can be very helpful in winning. Uh -huh. um, I don't really know much about game theory. Could you kind of, like, talk about that? Yeah, well, basically, all that game theory is is just giving people decisions that will basically, like, affect each other to create some sort of, like, if I do this, then this will happen, or if I don't do this, then this will happen. Yeah. So, so I mean, this this applies in marketing. I think to some extent. I don't know if this is the same, but if we think about like scarcity, uh, like that's a major driver yeah. of purchases. And I I I'm, I know that I see like you know in in NFT drops they have like pre-release and le release lists. I don't know what they call them actually, but yeah, you whitelist, yeah, you whitelist people. So like, there's kind of that like scarcity element. Is is that part of game theory? Is that kind of mm, not not as much as like uh, an example of game theory would be like. I'm giving you an NFT that you can burn to create something of value, like another NFT. Burn or means like you could throw keep it away, it. right? Yeah, so you could burn it, meaning you just send it to this like special address that no nobody can, can access. access. Yeah, yeah, and that's like, yeah. Watch, this is gonna be like the biggest scam of all time. And then yeah, right. One address has just been collecting. There's a billions of dollars. In of that yeah, address. yeah. You can burn it through my address. Yeah, just send it to me, man. <laughs> I'm the burn, burn address. address. Yeah, definitely. But. 
I think <laughs> like when it comes to marketing, a parallel would be like kind of just thinking about how, you know, if you only have a certain amount of spots for something and like maybe people are choosing between one or the other, like there's maybe game theory involved when it comes to like upsells or downsells or like, hey, you can get this for $100 off right now while you're on this upsell screen or later on, realistically, the price is $300 instead of 150 right now. So like that's giving them a decision, right? Yeah. And uh, there's usually a cost to the decision. So like all good games have some sort of game theory, right? So it's like, you know, you're risking one thing to do the other and that's kind of the, the essence of it. But like, you know, nowadays, like, you don't even need game theory necessarily to have a good NFT collection or successful drop. Yeah. Really good art. And, you know, I think it's always kind of been that way in a sense. But good art is enough with just good marketing behind it. But also I've seen good art be, it like insane art be not enough because there's not any game theory, quote unquote, behind it. So there's no like... You know, people get tired of the idea of it just being art because there's no marketing behind it. There's no essence behind why I should hold this beyond, like, they launched the art once and that's it. Yeah. So people are just kind of like, uh, you know, maybe I'll just sell that for cheap or I'll sell it for a loss to get into the next opportunity. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of like a – I'm kind of going down a lot of different paths there, but um, it's a really broad question, like, you know um, – but yeah, I think I'm not really an expert on game theory. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I am. But um, Red, I was trying to look yeah. at it for a second. I'll, I want to recommend this to you guys. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, so it's a little bit changing up, is that I know that you have done like lots of different businesses in the past, right? And you've right, actually right. been successful at tons of different things. For someone like me, I'm like pretty like risk averse. Like for me, thinking about like just throwing away something I'm currently doing and changing up is like, that's a nightmare for me, but I've seen you do it. Like even like right before you hopped into NFTs, you were doing, you're really successful at marketing. You had like courses that were doing hundreds of thousands of dollars. You had like sick, big clients. And then you were able to walk away from that to go to this new thing. So how do you, how do you think about that? Like how, like you clearly have a different idea of opportunity and life and money than, than I do. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. So, like, how, how do you think about being able to change, like, when you go into a new opportunity? How do you think about that? Dude, yeah, that is such a good question. I appreciate the love also from you saying, like, you know, I've done multiple things successfully. You know, I think it's, like, to determine success is, uh, you know, like, whether you look at it as, like, a number value or something. Um, to me, I look at it as, are you happy with what you're doing and are you excited to jump out of bed in the morning and yeah. get after it? If Very that's true, yeah. then I think you are successful and, you know, then monetarily, like, you should be making great money and, like, everybody has the opportunity to make amazing money. It's just about finding the thing that you love and doing that. So, for me, like, I started out with affiliate marketing I loved doing that because it was hands-off. I didn't really have to do any fulfillment, right? I would just refer people to stuff and I would do high-ticket affiliate marketing for digital products and that was good for me because I wanted to just live this, like, fuckboy lifestyle where, like, I traveled, <laughs> catch flights, not feelings, and all that shit. And uh, I did that. I traveled all over for years. I didn't have a home. I just traveled Airbnb to Airbnb and 
I fucking loved it. And uh, eventually I kind of like got tired of it. But, uh, you know, that's when your purpose, I think everybody, like, I think of purpose as like, uh, if you imagine your head, like concentric circles, like the big outside circle maybe is your first purpose that you'll encounter. And that might just be like, hey, I just want to make 10 grand a month. That yep. would be sick. So that way I could do traveling stuff. And maybe you do that then. You get 10 grand a month, you make the business, you start traveling, great. Now you've got that. What is the deeper level of purpose beyond that? The circle inside that circle. Then maybe it's like, well, I want to do something more impactful. I want to create something that really impacts people's lives at a deeper scale. And, you know, I want to hit 100K a month in my business or whatever starts firing you up. Then you hit that and you do that. And like, it's just about kind of boiling down those circles. And to me, having built businesses that do 100k plus a month, building businesses that hit, you know, millions of dollars in revenue, doing random things for clients in my come up, like just like random shitty $100 offers to like $10,000 offers to $25,000 offers, like the whole spectrum, right? Consulting, affiliate marketing, course selling, mastermind selling, all that shit. After doing all that stuff and realizing like what is my truest purpose, I've kind of boiled down to this point that I want to create art that attracts people, that connects people, that uplifts people, that empowers people, that creates community. And that is like where I'm at now. So for every person, they're going to have like a different type of thing. So it's like, as long as what you're doing fires you up, like if it doesn't, then you're in the wrong place and you need to probably make the adjustment or use it as a stepping stone to get to where you want to go. But for me, like, when it comes to doing different things, I pretty much just kind of escalated my way up to a point of realizing that for me, I'd turn down a hundred K a month business that has a ton of client fulfillment and a ton of different things for me to do where I'm stressed out working all day, like really not happy about what I'm doing, but maybe you're making amazing money, which is fantastic. But I would exchange that for making like enough money to be happy and live which could be ten to twenty thousand dollars a month, but doing something that I really love, and you know, I'm not saying that that you have to take a price hit on your life in order to be happy. Yeah. I'm actually saying the opposite. Do something that you love, and then find a way to make tons of money doing it. That's like your sweet spot. So, yeah, like your question was again, it was like, how do I feel about jumping hey, from hey, thing to thing? Yeah. I feel like follow your heart, follow the thing that you genuinely, if somebody asked you, what would you do if money didn't matter, if your family was taken care of, all your loved ones were taken care of, you've traveled the entire world, you've bought every gift that you could ever imagine buying for yourself and your loved ones. Now what do you do when you wake up in the morning? And to me, that answer is make dope art and shit posts on Twitter. <laughs> so like that's what it's kind of boiled down to at this point and like, I truly enjoy doing that. So, well, yeah. I think you're, you're a good example of, you know, like in my mind, the first uh, objection to that is like, yeah, try that and see how it works out for you. You know what I mean? But actually it does. You know, if you can do it right, like you were doing something that I thought, you know, in my mind, NFTs are what I think they are. They're little, you know, little pictures, you they're know, JPEG. they're like, like, how is this valuable? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And even if it is valuable for a short period of time, it's not going to be a long time. But now you're going on like years of doing this, successful the, the whole way through. And so I think there's a lot of ways to make something work, especially if you really enjoy it. Yeah. It means you can get into it deep. And Dude, I, I marketing. You have to have marketing skills. And I think like a big thing 
is people, the reason people don't do these things is because they're comfortable, right? And they're scared to disrupt True. that comfort in their life. It's the same reason people stay in abusive relationships and um, stuff like that. And there's a really good book. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, I've read it multiple times. I'm reading it again right now, actually. So it's like kind of like perfect timing. It's called Seneca on the Shortness of Life. Life Oof. is long if you know how to live it. Amazing. I'm pretty sure that's the full title. It's hard to remember. It's long. But it, essentially, we have to realize that life is short and you do have one life. Like as uncomfortable True. as a thought it is, one day you will cease. And maybe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as far as we can tell, right? Um, as far as science shows us, maybe there is a more spiritual thing to it. And, you know, hopefully there is. But right now, is the way I see it is I'm going to die and yeah. I won't have the opportunity to do anything. Life is short. You know, at the end of it, it will feel like it's been the blink of an eye. And every day that we spend doing something that we don't like just because it's comfortable. I mean, dude, fuck that's not that. that's really not living. Right. Yeah. That's that's just like the bare minimum. That's like essentially you're accept you're you're sitting down and you're accepting the bare minimum that you can live without being like miserable. Right. You're like, well, at least I'm not miserable. If you're not on your purpose, then that is the default is just being not miserable. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it takes a little bit of discomfort. It takes being uncomfortable to find true. I don't know, like maximization of your life if you want to be the best right whether it's at uh relationships again let's same parallel we're talking about earlier like if you're let's say an athlete or if you're someone who wants to be the best in their role or you're you want to be the best at anything it's going to require uncomfortable amounts of work like i was reading something earlier today about how uh, this guy that lived in germany and he said he babysat kobe bryant and when kobe bryant was nine years old he was spending more time in the gym practicing than the professional basketball players in Germany were. So it's like <laughs> a nine-year-old is out working these people that are professionals. And it's just, you Dude. know, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. But that's what it takes to really maximize. And guess what? Like, once you get past that, because that, the, uh, the uncomfortableness or whatever, it, it's not forever. It might be a long time, but it's not forever. And if you are willing to live through that, to experience it, and to not stop and come out on the other side, that's where greatness happens. And it can, and it's like it doesn't have to be this grand thing where you're the best basketball player or the biggest business in the world. It can be something as simple as like being able to travel the world, doing what you love, and not having to worry about like maybe you're only making ten thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars a month but you're doing what you love and you're living life the way you actually want to live it on your terms and you made the choices. You're not settling. You're living life the way you want to live it. And that is just really powerful. Dude, what melts time for you? That's the question. It's like, what do you do that melts time for you? And by melts time, I mean like time just doesn't even exist when you're doing this thing. Maybe, like, for me, the first experience I've had like that was, like, playing video games. Yeah, I can tell you one right now. Sometimes when I watch porn, I'm like, where did all the time <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's 40 minutes have hours. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Just watch <laughs> 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 No, like, I mean, dude, in that case, maybe then you should get in the porn industry, you know? I, I mean, like, know. who knows? But I got my bookmarks, you know. Nice, nice, nice. Just kidding. But, 
if something you notice like time, like for Kobe Bryant, dude, at nine years old, I guarantee you the kid is doing that because he wanted to do it, not because he's like, got to push through this. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, that's the thing. They probably, they probably don't. That's also part of it. The uncomfortable being True. uncomfortable is you don't want to do it maybe, but you do it anyway. But it's like because your vision is greater than the discomfort that you're going exactly. through, right? Yes. The point that I'm getting at is more like you have an advantage because you enjoy it so much. And if that's your thing, then, you know, Kobe had that advantage of like loving that so much that he's there at nine years old outworking these other guys. But then after all that time has melted for him, it's like the end of the day, it's like, all right, Kobe, time to like literally pack it up and go home. You've been here for 12 hours. He's like, what? Like, I bet you would probably feel like, damn, it's been that long. Like, time just kind of goes when you're doing something you love. Like, for me, I'll spend all day making art, all day trading NFTs. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I can't believe that time passed. But then somebody from the outside might look at me and be like, this guy works really hard. That's literally but, it. That's I, how I view you. But I, I, I have a question, yeah, though, well, because, like, it's easy to say that once you're successful, like, and you know how the NFT game works and blah, blah, blah. But, like, getting into the NFT game, it's not, like, immediate success. Just, like, anything is almost not immediate success. How do you know if you actually, like, love it or if you're, like, like, when you're in that spot before you hit your success, how did you feel about NFTs? Did you just have a strong vision that this is something that you did, you thought you enjoyed and you wanted to make it work somehow one way or another? Or what, what's that experience going through that initial period? It's like where we're at in our business right now or, or in Roseanne specifically, it's like, dude, we're not crushing it yet. We're a brand new business. It's going to be hard to get the thing going, it. but our vision is strong. So how, how do you feel about that getting started or when you're in that dip period? Well, it makes me think of like the, you know, cycles of like, uh, you know, it's like you start something new and you're kind of optimistic about it because you're like, yep. oh, this is new. And then yep. you're like kind of realize like, wait a second, once it's kind of wears off the newness, you start running into some obstacle inevitably. And despair, right? Yeah, you get towards that yeah. point where it's like all all time <laughs> low of despair because it's right before you kind of actually start realizing how to do something. So like, you know, that will happen. You have to be aware of that and realize like, yeah, at first the newness is going to wear off. Um, otherwise, you'll just jump from new thing to new thing to new thing, shiny object syndrome. But if you fight through that resistance initially and you're like, okay, like what is the difficult part here? Get through that. You might feel like shit, like I'm never going to figure this out, but keep getting after it. If you really enjoy it, it shouldn't feel like work as much as it feels like something you're just trying to do and figure out. So to me, like what I do doesn't feel like work. Like what about it just, originally? What about in the beginning? Though? No, did you have success in the beginning or did it take a while to? Well, no, I made that first uh, dildo headed Charizard, according to Devin. And, uh, <laughs> you know, no, nobody bought that. I sold it for free. Actually, someone yeah. bought it for free and I was hyped. My first NFT someone bought is actually the avatar that you can see on the screen right now. That was my first NFT I sold for money. I remember I actually was going on a walk. Um, I put the NFT up and I went on a walk and then I came back and it sold for 0.069 ETH. So I was oh, like, big. oh shit, I can't believe like, this. What was that at the time? Amount of money it was like 150 bucks, I think, at that the time. And I was so like, dude, crazy. someone just bought this for 150 bucks. I was like, holy shit. I can't believe it. Like, yeah. and then I was like, fuck it. I have to start making one of these a day. Like, I just want to make a new one and see what happens. So then I just started building out that brand and like, it kind of just happened that way. But you know, if someone's getting started now and they're like, look, I'm brand new. I'm not starting before the massive run up bull market. Maybe they're starting in the middle of the bear market and maybe it's whatever, but say it's NFTs. 
like, you know, if you're not enjoying the process of kind of getting started and getting it out there, then maybe it's not the thing that you really want to do. Like, but at the same time, you're going to realize like, it's not going to be this like, oh, I start this and tomorrow I'm like a millionaire or something. You got to be willing to like fight through it because you enjoy it. So that's what I think. Like one thing that I picked up from what you just said is that like you celebrated a small win. I think a lot of people, you know, they have an idea of like, I'm going to start out. And if I don't get to 10 K a month uh, immediately, you know, this is going to be, but you got a $150 sale and you were like excited about it. Most people would be like, Oh, it's not 10,000 a month. You know? So I'm feeling parallels from our business here where I get excited and you're a little bitch about it. No, no, no. (laughs) I've specifically been trying to celebrate the small, the small wins. Yeah. It is an art. I think. To find those and be able to celebrate them. Yeah, I like that a lot, man. Why? <laughs> yeah, you have to celebrate the small wins. But, like, I also had no expectations. So, like, there's two different ways of but viewing But you did all quit your stuff. Did you, yeah. did you come up and then quit your stuff? Or did you quit your stuff and then go? How, how did that time I noticed happen? the opportunity. And I, at the time, was uh, doing consulting. Yeah. And I had a few clients. Luckily, it wasn't, like, massive. But uh, we had some solid clients that we were talking with very often and who paid us some decent money and stuff. And basically like we weren't just going to drop them down to nothing. Basically we, uh, you know, fulfilled on all those clients and all of that stuff. But once I saw the opportunity to, uh, you know, post fulfillment, um, realizing like, okay, I see NFTs as a huge opportunity for me as something I genuinely enjoy because I was doing art every day and making NFTs and putting them out and starting to sell them. And I was like, holy shit, this is like happening. This is really working. People are buying this and it's cool and I'm having fun. And I was doing the other business and I was noticing it was taking some time away from it. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. I got to pick one. Like Sam Ovens was a massive inspiration for me and a big mentor for me in my come up. And uh, he always would preach like the importance of focus on one thing. So if you're trying to do all these different things, like he would say, like when he would ask somebody, what do you do? And then they tell them, yeah, well, you know, I'm a a journalist, but then I also do freelancing and I also have a consulting business, but I also do this other thing. I do some affiliate marketing. He would instantly know that they're not successful is what he would say because they are doing too many things. So it's like, for me, I was like, I need to, if I want to be successful at this for real, for real and build like a really dope brand, then I need to focus all in on it. And like, that was my like moment there to be like, all right, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to make this decision. It's not going to be easy necessarily. You know, like uh, I had a business partner and um, we had the conversation. We spoke for like two hours and I told him like, dude, I'm going to try this NFT thing. And I don't know if it's going to work, to be honest. I totally might fail. But I was like, what I know is that I enjoy it. So I'm willing to take that shot and uh i did and yeah i did have success pretty much right out of the gates not everything i was doing was in massive success there was a point where like i remember people be like oh you're still like selling those nfts and doing that nft thing and i would be like yeah yeah and it wasn't like going insanely great but i stuck with it like kept making art kept getting out there kept connecting making connections building my brand trading collecting nfts being a part of every drop i could joining all the alpha groups i could and uh, just relentless in the pursuit of getting really good at the game. So, yeah, I, 
I gotta be honest. I always believed in you. I knew. I was Thanks. like, I know, brother. This guy needs to to quit his job right now because I could. Not see me. I don't believe in new shit at all. I, I could <laughs> see that you love this, and I saw the money start coming in, even though it wasn't a lot. And I was like, dude, this is it. But guys, I think we should probably yeah. start calling it here because yeah. it's been about two hours. Damn, time, time really? flies and you're having fun. Well, We're melting time right now. The bottom right of that window, it has got a little clock right it says right above the actual clock. Um, it says 30 frames per second. So that's okay, not whatever. Yeah, we do. We're at 30 frames per second. All right. All right. Well, oh. Stephen, hour where can people, 23. Where, uh, can, where, where, uh, <laughs> mom, where, where can people find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com. Uh, just type Satoshi's underscore mom. Um, just type Satoshi's mom. You'll see the avatar come up. You'll see maybe some other scam account that's Yeah, look for the Charizard trying. with the dildo on its head. Yeah, look for the green avatar that's smoking weed. Yeah, you and, can see it on the uh, screen right now. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. Uh, shoot me a DM and let me know you heard this podcast. I probably won't answer it. I'm just kidding. I might answer it, but, you know. For the fans. Yeah, we get a lot yeah. of DMs, man. You Just can't be answering all of them. Just do subject line, rowdy boys, cock pick. And, nice. Um, I'll definitely answer that one. Yeah. And I don't know how Twitter works, so I don't know if you can do subject lines. I assume not. But No, you can't. All right. Well, Satoshi's mom, thank you for joining us. And now it's time for a question. If you haven't yet liked, commented, and subscribed on YouTube, what are you doing? Yeah. I think Clayton's <laughs> getting a little bit tired of doing that. Like, We've done it where we've had guests on Zoom, and then people just get the space where they're like, what the fuck just that happened? That is what so am I, funny. Am doing? But if you haven't yet liked, commented, and subscribed on YouTube, make sure you do that. Ring the bell, comment, let us know what you think. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure that you leave a review with text as well as subscribe. And if you're on Spotify, make sure you leave a review or subscribe. And you can go to rowdyboys.net, sign up for our email list. If you're interested in building a community, increasing your webinar attendance, getting uh, more sales from your coaching business, also make sure to sign up for rosen.com. We have a 14-day free trial. We also have a revenue increase guarantee. What that means is we guarantee that we will increase your revenue. If we do not increase your revenue, you will get a refund minus the fees that carriers charged us to send your message. That's basically the fees that T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, and those companies charge us. So we don't increase your revenue, you get your money back, but you can just get in for 14 days and try it for free anyway. So get in, try it out. Um, and I guess that uh, I'm it. Devin Zander. Clayton Johnson. We're the Rowdy Boys. Yes, we fucking are. Uh, all right, Sush's mom, thank you much for love, hanging guys. out. Much love, guys. Thank You're, you so uh, much. It is honestly a pleasure. Yeah, uh, super fun. You know, we've, we've been great friends for a while, but we haven't had conversations like this much since um, we used to do 75 hard together. So uh, yeah, I, it's no surprise to me that you're so successful because the more I like just being able to talk to you like this, it's easy to see how fucking smart you, you are. And also I can see that uh, bulge you in your nice. pants over there. Which is yes. Nice too, but. All right. This Amen, is the Rowdy brother. Boys. Thank you guys see for you guys. watching. See you next week.